You're listening to the Hex Devs podcast. I'm your host, Thiago. And I'm your co-host, Stephanie. This episode is sponsored by VanHack. VanHack helps tech talent get a job abroad. VanHack also helps companies hire amazing tech talent from all over the world. Join VanHack today by clicking on the link provided in the description notes. Our guest today is Raymond Juan, or should I say the Shape Up guy. Raymond is a senior software developer at Unbounce. He studied computer engineering at the University of British Columbia. And he is here today to talk about how he's been using ShapeUp with his team at Unbounce. ShapeUp, Stop Running in Circles and Ship Work That Matters, is a book from Ryan Singer, Product Strategy at Basecamp. The book is a guide to how they do product development at Basecamp. You can download you can download the book for free. The link is on the description. So when when the book was launched, uh, Shape Up, uh, I wanted so bad to discuss it with someone because I've been following Basecamp for like 10 years, and they always have some like pretty good ideas. And the Shape Up thing, like, it's, it's not a new thing. Like, you, you kind of if you if you if you've been following them, you kind of understand how they do things at Basecamp and how they run like the, the big batches and the small batches and things like that. But I guess the Shape Up book was kind of the first like a compiled uh, methodology, right? And so I just wanted to talk about it with someone that is using that and is applying that somewhere. So me too. Um, I actually read Shape Up a few months ago, and I was mainly curious to talk with people that were applying ShapeUp outside Basecamp. Uh, because when you read the book, you get really inspired and you see, and you, as a developer, you think, this is amazing, but would that work in my company? <laughs> so that's what we are going to discuss it today. Um, and Raymond, in your LinkedIn, your bio says, that you're interested in all aspects of software development from building UIs to backend systems, infrastructure, and continuous delivery. Um, you say that you enjoy finding the best solution to build and deliver robust software quickly. So I guess my first question is, does ShapeUp help you find the best solution for delivering robust software quickly? Uh, that's a really interesting question. Uh, it's been a while since I've checked LinkedIn <laughs> and read what I wrote there, but uh, I, I think it does in a sense. And I think something you sort of mentioned there is that there's sort of all aspects of software development. And one thing I really liked about ShapeUp is that it sort of provides that like whole view of like, you know, all the types of challenges you have to think about if you're trying to figure out a direction of where to go, how do you like build something and test it and like not get too like caught up over like what happens if, you know, there's like a, co a common problem, like, you know, you go over budget with time or you don't know everything ahead of time. Like having some sort of uh, like, I guess, system to think about how to address those type of problems is like super helpful. And I, I just found that that sort of like the shape up approach really sort of spoke to me because those are the type of problems I was having at the time when I first uh, uh, found the book, which was like very, very coincidental. Like I was just on Twitter. I think I was following DHH or something and, you know, there's this book that came about Shape Up and I just wanted to read it. And like right at that moment, once I read it, I was like, wow, this is exactly the problems I'm trying, like I'm having right now. And like, yeah, so that's kind of 
how it started. <laughs> my my question is like whenever we are talking about a new methodology or something different, uh, I'm always curious to know how hard was it for you to convince your team to do that to work and use ShapeUp. So was it hard to convince your boss and your teammates? That's a great question. So I think whenever it comes to methodology changes, before you do anything, you have to really believe that you understand the problem you're trying to solve. There's never really like one method that just works for everyone. And your team kind of has to adapt and solve problems and make the process work for you. So we kind of, so we've had a pretty good culture of that in advance and especially the teams I've worked on where the managers are very supportive. We have, you know, retros to try to identify these problems and try to like address like some of the things that, um, you know, are affecting your team's like feeling of ownership and ability to like ship and, you know, of course, like interpersonal stuff. Um, so that's sort of the approach I took with ShapeUp. Um, I tried to introduce it very, very slowly and in like ways that didn't really require everyone to sort of like change all at once because um, for me specifically, and this is like about like July 2019, about just when the book came up, I was, I was, um, so my role then was like, sort of like a newish, like a tech lead. So someone who's trying to like set some of the technical direction for my team. I worked at Unbounce, we work with in a, in a group called like each team has what's called TPD, which is a tech product UX. And they're sort of the folks who try to steer like the team to go in a certain direction. And I just felt really, really lost about like how to set the direction for where to go. Like I just finished a project, which like didn't really go the way that we wanted. And I was trying to think like, wow, how did we get into that specific problem? Like all the people are really, really good. And you know, like we we're, we're iterating, we're doing like, you know, we're doing sprints, we're doing like very quick check-in, we're deploying all the time, but there's just something missing. And like something that shape up really helped me with was trying to figure out like the right balance between like long-term planning and short-term planning. And so like the first thing we started off with was just me trying to adopt the pitch writing process and trying to take all the problems we're trying to solve and uh, can I actually distill it into those like five key pieces, you know, the problem, the appetite, the solution, the rabbit holes, the no-goes. Because what was happening was that uh, we were sort of meeting very frequently in our converse, our sort of leadership our TPD meetings would always sort of like jump between short term and long term. You can never really figure out like what it is, what's the right balance for this. And a lot of those would be like, like the possible directions we can go into or like possible problems we would run into. And without something like the pitch, which sort of digs a little deeper to help you like understand like how much investment you want to make, what are the risks? It was really hard to have like productive meetings. So it kind of started with that. And uh, so I did that for like about, I guess, in shape up, uh, there's the concept of a six week cycle. So I tried it for around like two cycles where I was just writing pitches and sort of sneakily getting it into the team's working process without everyone really doing it. And then at some point folks were catching on because I just couldn't, I kept mentioning this book and we started trying to be a bit more formal with like six week cycles, uh, cool down sprints and, uh, that's kind of like how it went, but I also, yeah. So I had like very supportive, like TPD members, really supportive managers that were interested in um, helping the team be more productive. So that's kind of how we started. <laughs> that's pretty interesting uh, because like you were just sneaking in the, 
the methodology there and just like started using some words like pitching and doing embedding and you know appetite and just started like talking about the book but, like before or why are you started doing that like what kind of methodology uh were you guys uh using was that like scrum like daily stand-ups and things like that yeah i think it's like it's like a mix between you know scrum and kanban sort of thing so we have certain ceremonies like you know stand-up retro kickoff refining we'd have uh you know we'd do this every two weeks and repeat we'd um you know do some like we'd also have to fix bugs so you know we pull in bugs and that be sort of like scheduled in with some of the work and so we still mostly do that still now um just like at different time scales so we've just kind of like uh at least the team that I was on at the time we sort of adapted shape up into the process um without sort of changing too much of that those yeah so we still do those ceremonies <laughs> even now when you were trying to sneak in shape up um mm -hmm. did people bring some arguments against adopting that do, do you remember any arguments like did did any of them become true uh i tr it's been a while so i've tried to like categorize what i kind of remember because there were sort of different phases when it happened um but i think the things i saw were some people just didn't like the change um which is completely fair because if you have an established way of working like changing is sort of difficult for everyone because you need to re-communicate and like figure out how to work together um there was also a lot of information in the book and there were just some folks were just not interested in reading it like they have other things happening in their life you kind of need to like bring them along the journey um There are also certain ideas in the book that are a bit difficult, I think, for engineers to sort of grok at first, such as myself, like the whole like time box and and like not having that um, predictability of knowing what the solution might be is like sometimes really, really hard, especially when you just want to know, like, I will have a backlog. I just want to know all the tickets I want to work on so I can start working on it. And like, that's like a bit of a mental shift that uh, it was a little, it's, it's uncomfortable to sort of, um, uh, to sort of, go over until you tried it. Um, so going back to like, did these problems actually exist? Um, people didn't like change. I think that's just, that's just the way it is. Like people don't like change. And so you have to have like the belief that, you know, you're changing this for the better and you have the right problems in mind and you can sort of go through it. Um, truth be told for that, like um, that, so the team that I rolled this out on, I don't really, I'm not actively on that team anymore. So they've sort of adjusted their process a bit since then. They do things slightly differently. We still do certain parts of Shapeo, but it's, uh, it's yeah, it's like always changing. Um, as for the idea of uh, unpredictability, I think we've seen a lot of folks really like this a lot more because something we've seen is that um, engineers have a lot more context and they can apply the solutions much more creatively, creativity, uh, creatively. Um, that's something that I struggled as sort of like a tech lead because. Previously, I had to, I felt like I had to always define everything up front. And what I realized was I wasn't providing the right type of context that allowed teams to um, focus on building things. And now that we've adopted it, like I think a lot of folks just like it because they have more time to work on things. The context makes so much more sense. So that has been a, like a, I think a net positive, uh, like getting folks being more comfortable with uncertainty. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a good point because people, <laughs> I would say especially developers don't like uncertainty that much, but 
in a way when you write the pitch and when you give them a lot of context by writing writing it down you know and sharing with everyone like you have more certainty about the problem at least right and then you you can be creative on how you solve the problem which is like what everyone wants to do right you, you're an engineer you want to solve the problem you just need the right context right so it's not that uncertain if you think about it absolutely like i think exactly and like writing it down really forces you to think in a way that might not be like the same when you're in a meeting and you're just everyone's like hearing it for the first time like you really have to like think through what you're trying to say and communicate it succinctly and it also gives folks something to refer back to um especially when they're trying to figure out um like what the solution needs to look like and and of course now that we're sort of in this sort of remote world with covid like it's nice to be able to communicate asynchronously and like provide the right level of context yeah and when you say working asynchronously do you mean that you don't do like stand-ups anymore or so how are the meetings uh, when you're doing shape up Ooh, uh so i'm gonna have to speak on behalf of some of the teams who do it from what i observe because i don't do it as much these days but the sort of the types of uh I guess the like within a six week cycle, what we see is there's a lot more collaboration in the beginning. Um, when you're sort of after you've shaped pitches, teams are just working way together. And for the first week, there might be a lot of whiteboarding or just like unstructured time to understand the problem. And then what ends up happening is once you sort of figure out what it is that you need to do, there's just a lot more time where uh, uh, like engineers are just focused on delivering and like building things and testing things out. And that's sort of like a, I feel like a natural cycle of development that um, it, it's it's actually like so common even before like picking up the shape up thing um like something i wanted to touch on that is some like before i read this book like in our sort of just sprints and like and in our sprints what would happen is you would always have like a, a slow sprint where you're trying to do a lot of spiking or doing stuff to figure things out and then it would always kind of wrap up and get better and then it'll sort of like you know, your velocity goes up and down and up and down as you're like uncovering things and solving it. And it always felt a bit weird when we were doing retro because we would look at these metrics and think like, are we doing something wrong in that sort of like early planning cycle? Because like our velocity isn't very good. But in reality, it's just that it's hard to quantify that stuff when you're trying to like shape, you're trying to like scope down the work and understand the problem. When I sent you an invite to talk about shape up, you mentioned that not all teams are using it some teams cherry-picked some parts of the shape up book how have unbalanced teams adopted and changed shape up to fit their needs um, yeah good question so the team that i was on still follows quite a bit of it so such as like six week cycles two week cool downs um we try to do sort of uh like pitching sessions and we try to like think about where we're trying to go and then we sort of let the teams um, build and figure out the solution that fits that time frame. So for this one specific team, they follow it a lot. Uh, for other teams, they had sort of, you know, they are trying to figure out how to make the process work for them and figure out like what it is that's, um, you know, how they want to do planning, how they want to like execute. And so like some other teams have taken on say like pitching and just using the documents and others, they, they don't follow it, which is kind of fine because at the end of the day, it's all about reaching the outcomes and the methodology is kind of up to the team to like figure out what works for them. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. 
I think that, for example, let's say that I'm, I read Shape Up, I'm really excited to try it and also try to sneak in my team. What do you think would be the best uh, approach to take? Like if you had to choose between the six week cycle or the two week, the two week cool down period or the pitching or any other um, part of shape up, which one do you think it would be the easiest to try at first? Yeah, uh, I would probably say try to focus on shaping and pitching, like writing pitches first. I think that's sort of the thing that requires the least amount of commitment, especially from your team. And I think it's something that everyone just values, even if they don't believe in the process, because when you put this much thought into like a document to describe like where you think you need to go and the type of problems, it tends to sort of convince people along just because you've already put so much thought into like, you know, de-risking the problem. And so I'd probably start with there. And then from there, you can try any of those other things once you've sort of, uh, Convince your team that there's some there's something you're getting out of it already. <laughs> what are, what are kind of the best questions to be asked uh, when shaping a cycle? Like, what are the questions you think you use the most? For example, are you making assumptions about the technical work, or is there a hard hard decision here we need to to settle in before doing any work? So, what are kind of the questions that you ask while teaching? Yeah. So the things that I think about are like, is the idea appealing to you? Does the problem make sense? Does it fit into our the longer vision of like the company you're working on? Um, and then also sort of poking around like, are there related overlapping areas that make sense to go together? Especially if you're doing like small cycle work and you're trying to like batch things, like trying to find ways to have teams sort of like, you know, have multiple areas that are like related and you can work on that together instead of like projects that spread over like too many like sorts of responsibilities um when you're you picked up yes an interesting question about making assumptions about technology um so this is probably more of a like cultural thing but we try to use our best judgments when it comes to tech like we at least at unbounce we've adopted like a set of technology defaults so if you're continuing to use those it's less of like a, a difficult like question you have to answer um uh and around sort of other like techn technological risk, um, often if you sort of, as part of the pitching process, you want to try to anticipate any like significant risky component. And I think that's where like having other sort of senior folks um, sort of chime in and give some feedback and try to like provide some answer there ahead of time so that when the teams do their work, they're not sort of spinning their wheels, answering like very sort of abstract kind of questions. Um, and like when I say senior, it's not just technology, but also collecting your product and your design, your UX teams to try to get their input as well, because it's like an end-to-end process. Yeah. Um, one more thing I would add is that uh, what we found is a lot of the sort of technological questions usually gets addressed once the team starts to work. So we try to sort of like focus on what are the really sort of risky questions to answer ahead of time. If we think it's something that the team can figure out when they start, we actually try to just leave, leave that there um, until the cycle starts. But those are interesting questions, like the one that you said, where you ask if if this work or this pitch is uh, is aligned with the future of the company. Like if if the thing that you're building kind of aligns with what the company is trying to accomplish. And mm -hmm. 
we don't ask that question very often, right? We just get something to work on and we don't really ask that question. And it's also like, it's important to know if the thing you're doing makes sense, right? Like, it's not just a, 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 like a crazy feature that you're building. So, yeah, that's yeah. pretty interesting. Yeah, that's definitely a tough one. I think that's part of like, I think it's like engineering growth and experience where it starts being a thing you worry about more and more just because when, at least from my experience, when projects go wrong, it's because that is the part that's missing. And without it, it's hard to make the right trade-offs about like uh, what to do in this. And especially with like the shape of idea of like a time box, like, you know, if you had only this much amount of time to do something, like what are the right decisions? What are the right shortcuts to take? What is, where is it not okay to take a shortcut? Cause we, you know, this is like a very important part for us to get right. Yeah. Yes. I, I particularly love when, when they talk about that constraint, like that time constraint, um, because yeah, like complicated solutions, um, you know, there, there is always going to be a better solution, but if you don't have the time constraint, uh, you can't think of, okay, so what can we do to work in now? I, yeah, I think that is a very good shift like in, in the mindset. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one thing that I think they really nailed on is this idea of like six weeks as the, you know, the, the cutoff because um, like my experience working on sort of really gnarly technical stuff is you know if you aren't making any progress within six weeks six weeks it's probably a time to like like stop and really reevaluate like what you're doing and there's just been so many projects that have sort of been that like two to six week cycle and like uh you know two weeks sometimes is a little too short for any sort of like big idea thinking and so i think having that flexibility of like having small and like big cycle work or is like really it's like a, a really nice way of like um, working on what's important. I'm curious to know how you or your team adopted the idea of, of the appetite or the budget instead of mm -hmm. estimates and how people, uh, how, how you convinced them that that was a good idea because like at least for project managers, like if you don't have an, an estimate, they might be they might feel uh, uncertain about the success of the project. So, yeah, so tell me more about the budget and the appetite. That's a, that's a really good one. Um, it was, so the way we ended up adopting it is when I wanted to try ShapeUp, I tried not to front load too many big projects, but to try some of the small cycle work because we did have some fairly sort of gnarly technical, well, problems that you need to solve. And there are certain things that we just weren't sure we would actually um, solve it because maybe there's actually just no no solution here and we just have to stop. And so we, we tried adopting like a time box for some of those problems and realizing that this is what helped us, um, gave us the comfort to uh, just stop, like, you know, know that you can stop if, if you, can't find, you can't figure this out or this isn't a path not worth taking. So that's sort of how we started. And I think that kind of built the confidence that it works and we started trying it for some of the longer projects and and you know setting like really good you know criteria for what is done um, especially in that sort of problem solution space um so i think we've sort of at least for the team i was on like we've adopted the appetite approach really well um the one thing that is a bit tricky though is sometimes around 
what do you do if the project goes over? And I think this really depends on like what some of your company's priorities are. Um, like if it's, uh, I haven't seen us really enforce the sort of like cut off very, very like stopping and just like not continuing because it's gone over time. Like a lot of things need a little more time to finish sometimes. So they do sort of bleed in for the cooldown sprint. Um, but yeah, like I, so I, I don't, I don't, I don't know what it'd be like if we actually had to, to like hard stop <laughs> and make decisions. So far that hasn't happened. <laughs> it's also part of, part of us, what you were saying, like it's, you know, it might need to adapt or something. Uh, that's why I was really interested in talking to another company that's not Basecamp that is adopting it. Because for mm. example, um, when you mention, oh yeah, so as a team, we, we ask ourselves, uh, does this align with the cultures, uh, with the company's culture? You know, is this going to a path where everyone is comfortable with? But I don't think that a lot, the majority of companies, either they are not in their maturity um, level yet, which can be, you know, they're just starting, uh, we actually don't know what we're doing, or the teams do not have that space for even questioning that approach, right? Um, that's a that's an interesting um, thing to to think about. Like I, I've never <laughs> thought about asking that. Like, oh, does this makes us feel like we are part of a bigger goal as a company? But I guess if <laughs> if lots of companies ask that questions, they would run out of business. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm not too sure about that either. I think it does really depend on the company culture and how sort of open like your your managers are and the teammates as well as yeah like what it is that your company does um in terms of startups though i have i had actually have a friend who works at another startup who has actually adopted shape up much much more like to the, to the way it works and they say they love it like so um i think they're another so mind you i, I talked to them like a couple of months ago like well so, like before the pandemic, so um, if you heard of retail zipline, like they go like all in on shape up, and they really, really like it. <laughs> yeah. Are they a product company as well? Yes, they are a product company. Because this is one of the the thing the this is one of the criticisms that I hear about Basecamp because like people say it's not me saying, but it's things that I hear. They say, oh, Basecamp has a good culture, but they have a lot of time in their hands. Like they are, they are profitable, they have a product, they are good at prioritizing things, right? So this is something you can always learn, but sometimes revenue or having a product are not easy things, easy things to have, right? So do you think that ShapeUp would work for a company that doesn't have as much time like maybe it's a early stage startup or maybe it's a more services oriented company and they need to like deliver at a certain date and they need to like figure out the money thing quickly well, that's a really good question um i haven't i can't say i've worked in like a services based company so i don't i'm not drawing at any sort of real experiences um but i I find that just writing things down just really helps you. Even if you're a small company, you need to sort of have some idea of what direction you're going. Um, if you're 
working in a services industry like sort of company i guess the thing i'd ask is is the scope negotiable like is that something like you're willing to work with like for the um you know your customer on this and if you know it's no then it's going to be really hard to get this to work whereas if they're okay with sort of making trade-offs and like time boxes then i can't see why it couldn't be adapted in some way it may not you may not sort of speak to them in the shape of in the model but you can sort of present the sort of um trade-offs and the like the like what you get out of it if you allow us to try this in the shape of model and also asking that question like the question of is this thing really important to you like how important is this thing for you and if we need to deliver that by say in the next two weeks in the next month uh can we cut some corners? Can we prioritize some things? Because that's a, that's always a good question to ask, right? Like you need to prioritize them. You can't just do whatever, everything. Yeah. Uh, it's really interesting how you asked that because uh, like a while ago I was reading about sort of this agile practices and what it sort of came at as a reaction to. And like my understanding is that in the sort of mid nineties, you had these IT companies who were trying to unlock value in companies and you'd have, you know, internal stakeholders who were constantly sort of changing plans and changing ideas. And, you know, it was such a, such a difficult process to try to prioritize things. And that's kind of what like agile uh, is meant to sort of give some of that control back to the team to be able to actually deliver incremental value. And I think shape up in a sense still follows that sort of vein where you're trying to deliver value quickly the great thing and the great thing about the book is that it really sort of explains all those other sort of things you need to think about when you're trying to like do a project like especially around like i think the big thing is really like risk management that's that's really what it's supposed to help you sort of like understand how to manage like technical risk product risk you know there's always the time component as well so it, it's the same as in when for example you want to start a new habit. I don't remember who tweeted something about that, but let's say, for example, that you want to do more of, I don't know, learning piano. You have to then remove something from your plate. Like you can't do everything. You have, oh, okay, so you want to do more of that. So what will you have to do less to do that? That's a, a good, um, that's a good uh, question. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I could add like one more thing to that. And I think piano is a really great example. It was like, I just started learning that myself. Um, um, like around habits, like sometimes it's not just, you know, doing the action yourself, but having the right environment that makes it easy to do. So, I mean, I had that environment at work to be able to try some of these things. And, you know, doing more of the shape of stuff, I think really helps you think about problems in a certain way, especially if you have like, say, six, like if you adopted, um, say the pit, like writing pitches, but you don't have this sort of six week cycle and a two week cooldown, you may not be able to sort of reap the same sort of benefits that you, that you might get if you do more of it. Because what, what we've seen with the six week cycle thing is, you know, like once you're at that like week five or six, developers are super productive and they're just sort of turning out things and they feel the excitement of, you know, I'm getting really close to getting this thing done and shipping. And then you need a break after because it's like, you know, you're like deep in focus and you just need to decompress. So like having those two things together works well together. Whereas if you only do one and not the other, I don't know if you'd have that sort of same uh, result. Talking about the the break after the cycle. So how, how is your cool down period normally? 
Yeah, so we do two weeks of cooldown, just like how it's presented in the book. And that's usually a time where, where uh, the developers, uh, so we still have like bugs in our product. And if they're not super high priority, we do a bit of prioritization and uh, work on that sort of some of those bugs or other little things that um, have come up in the project that we may have never completed. Um, so something we do differently from ShapeUp is that we don't really have like a strong dual track for shaping and planning. So what one of the ways we've sort of adapted is that for the sort of the, the leads of the team with the product, the, the tech lead and the designers would sort of spend that cooldown time looking at um, like refining pitches and sort of making having these discussions about what's in the scope for the next cycle and the team themselves sort of figure out how what to pull from the like the backlog of bugs and what to prioritize during that cooldown time so that's kind of usually how that works i i like when they talk about the cooldown period and they say oh ask a developer if there is something that they would like to change and I will always say, yeah, I have a million things to 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 change. I I think it's also like good for the morale of the team. Um, I I actually kind of did that. Um, you know, we had a deadline, and we I I made some like compromises, and right after it was shipped, I was like, listen, I have to do this cleanup. Like I I have to do it, and I I felt so much better. Like um, and yeah, no one complained about that, so I will keep doing it. Yeah, absolutely. I think yeah, like like the cooldown has been probably the most successful thing. Like everyone's <laughs> saying, oh, cooldown is great. Like I just love it. That's the time to sort of focus on the things that I think are important without always being like, yeah, you need to have that gap where you're not always like rebuilding towards a company vision and pitches. You just need some time to like scratch your technical itch to like learn something new or to try something that you were dying to try but just didn't have the time to do it. So you mentioned something about having a backlog uh, of bugs so that you you can prioritize them together. Um, so I was going to ask you exactly that. You used to have the tech depth backlog and how how do you keep track of them? How do you prioritize them? Yeah, so we still have like a sort of bug grooming session um, on the team I was on where every two weeks we'd still sort of review what's coming in from like what our customers are reporting and we would prioritize them accordingly. If there's like an absolute blocker that comes up, then we may have to like stop and actually work on that because that's our customers are having a bad experience. But if it's something that can be worked around, then we tend to defer it and prioritize it um, for the cooldown time. Yeah, so we still do have a backlog. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I, actually, if someone knows any company outside Basecamp that does not have a backlog, I would like to meet this company. <laughs> I have yeah, so many questions. I know, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm curious about the execution of ShapeUp. So you start with the pitch, like you write down the pitches and you figure out the things that are important then you have to like share with people and then after that uh what happens like do, do people just like look at the pitch and start like writing some tasks to do or do they like collaborate and try to figure out what what is needed so how, how does that work yeah great question so just because you write a pitch it doesn't mean it's going to be worked on so that is sort of what we described as the responsibility of that TPD group, the tech product 
designer to really sort of vet this out and see if this makes sense for us to work on. Um, and so we do spend time during that uh, six week cycle to start thinking about this. And we spend a lot of time focusing on that in the cool down um, sprint. And then at some point we do in that cool down, we do present the pitches that we think are worth doing to the team to kind of get some initial input just to see if there's any sort of potential thing that we just didn't come up with. And then we sort of start our cycles with like a kickoff where we just talk about what are the things that the teams are working on and to give them a chance to just familiarize it as a whole group. And then um, at this point, at least for that team that I was on, like the, the folks who are like leading are familiar enough and sort of have enough confidence to sort of take the, the pitches back to the team and to break down the work. And, and then that's when like tickets and stuff get created. We try to keep the amount of upfront planning to minimum and just try to have that like pitch document for them to work off of. I'm, I'm really interested to know how, how you communicate the unknowns. Like that, that part of the book was really, um, was really interesting for me to read, but it was tightly uh, coupled to basic, like they did, which makes sense, right? Like they created the 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 methodology. They had they use Basecamp to track uh, the progress of the team. But I was wondering if you use Basecamp for that, or do you use any other tool? How, how does it work? Uh, that's a really great question, and I wish I had an answer for you, but I don't. I think you're referring to like the hill charts part. We don't use Basecamp. Um, we haven't. I don't know. So far, we've been okay without it, but I and I think the reason why it's okay is because we have fairly understanding managers who understand like what it takes to get work done. Like it's never going to be this sort of straight climb to like success. So I think we do an okay job with that. But I do. I would love to maybe in the future try that sort of whole chart approach to talk about like what are the the you know where, how far how are we moving in this direction for like certain projects. So yeah, I can't give you an answer on that unfortunately. <laughs> Sounds good. So how many cycles did it take you to get good at shaping? That's a really good one. That's a really good question. So for me, after I, if I had to start from that, just starting with like writing pitches to try to like communicate, um, it kind of took probably three to four or three to five until it started getting comfortable. Um, it took a while, especially if we were trying to get other folks on board. Um, and yeah so it, it does take time and like what at some point i realized that i i didn't ha i think there was one sort of thing i wish i had done sooner which is to try to distill it a lot more quickly because there are certain things that we wanted like problems that i think we want we want to solve and to be able to highlight that and sort of just tell your teammates like this is what we want to focus on working on don't get so worked up over some of like the overarching things and all the all the things involved like you know as you mentioned like like hill charts like don't worry about it we're not like that's not an area that we're trying to focus on right now um or like all these like other things so that was something that i ended up doing much later um where we tried to like create like an agreement page about what it is that we're trying to how we've adapted shape up um because Telling folks to read just just read the book is, I think, not a great way of getting your team to uh, adapt the process. Adopt the process. <laughs> yeah, I was actually gonna ask you: Did someone actually read the book after you adopted? I think so. I think, at least at the time, the last one I checked, I think a good like four to five 
well, it's probably one that folks sort of were interested in and had some thoughts into it. Like one of the things that was really cool is I was it was another team who was just curious about it, and they I think they were very much more like interested in trying out more because we were like already experimenting with it. Is there something that? Well, you already mentioned something that you said you would have done sooner, but I wanted to ask if, do you think there is something that you would have done differently or you would have skipped, you know, just why you get better shaping, for example? Because um, from, from what you say, uh, the pitching, it's the, the part where it might take more more time. Um, and it seems that it's the the one that gives more impact. So I don't know. Would maybe you say let's just let's just focus on pitching for three to five cycles, for example? What would have you done different? Oh, that's a that's a really tough question. I <laughs> I, I don't know if I have an answer for it. I don't I don't know if I do it differently. I think that's I think it's part of my personality that I don't like risk. I want to like do the least impact, least like impact or high thing I think that will have the most value that has the least amount of impact. So I think I'd probably still do it the same. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned that you don't like risk, even though you adopted a new methodology. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, it took me a while to sort of decide if it was worth rolling out a bit more because I am very conscious of like, I don't want my teammates to sort of be caught up in sort of something where they're really happy with it. But, you know, um, like adopting a new process, it might actually fail, right? So it took me a lot of like thinking about like, is this worth the trade-off? And I think I got to the point where like, yes, I think this is worth trying. And we even talked about um, like to the team, like, hey, you know, if this thing, we don't like it after X, this period of time, like we don't have to do it. Like, let's just try it and it's experience. So sort of taking that approach to just changing process as well. So, you know, that's, yeah. So I think if you have that sort of in place where it's not like a, an irreversible decision, then it's your team will be much more like happy to try something new. Um, so you mentioned that other teams started getting interested in Shape Up after seeing your team doing it. What, um, what were the most positive impacts that you notice after sh sh um, adopting ShapeUp? I think it's just a better understanding of the problem and making sure that we have that well-defined and everyone understands. I think that's always been some of the tricky things of like working in team, especially a team of teams where everyone has like a different set of goals, different set of priorities and having it written down and sort of um, talking it through first before you get too much in the solution has probably had the, the most positive impacts. And that's what I just, I mean, that's, I think that's a fundamental of like any sort of project, like every project I've been on where it hasn't gone very well, it was because the problem statement was not shared and understood by everyone. It's, it's amazing how at the end, it all comes down to how we understand each other, right? And how we communicate. And it, that's a, that's a pattern that I see a lot, like in software, in the software industry, for example. And that's where I see lots of benefits of having people from different backgrounds in, in the tech industry. Um, because if you are just like, oh, yeah, I build the best software, the fastest, the more scalable. But, you know, no one can work with you. You can't communicate. 
or your use the users don't understand the 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 end product like it all comes to to the same uh point right which is we we are not okay we're software developers but we're not paid just to write code right we're actually paid to solve problems yeah absolutely like uh like it's always fun to sort of you know solve the problems that uh, you feel the pain the most because then you understand it um, it definitely it takes a bit more skill to try to understand and internalize like the problems that your other users are having and um, whether that's you know your product manager or ux designer or even like or, or more importantly like your customer and i just find that if you focus on understanding those things then you sort of can make decisions much more quickly because you don't need to like if you actually understand the customer you don't need as much sort of like meetings or communications to try to like relay information and one of the things that i wanted to ask you is so you have the the big batch the six six week cycle and something that i see a lot like in other companies is if you have a project that takes like more than a month uh, there's always this big launch thing right so you're gonna finish the, the the cycle and then we're gonna just demo it and it's gonna we're gonna launch it and then the customers will love it and did you have to do that or did you have to convince people not to do that like how how does that work for a month i'm not quite sure how to answer that so sorry yeah i'm trying to think about like an experience where it was like that because like when you have like six weeks, six weeks to work on something, you mm. kind of raise the bar, right? Like so, sometimes, like depending on the culture of right. the company, you say, "Oh, we're gonna give you six weeks, but it's better be good," you know, like something like that. Right. You're gonna have a lot of time to work on that. Yeah, I mean, I can't say I can't say we've done a lot of like big bang releases in the last little while, but at least internally, we do have like biweekly like product demos where you sort of get the chance to show everything they're doing the company and so like there are opportunities within the cycle for us to just showcase some of the cool stuff that we're doing and things that impact our customers and uh like the rest of the company actually really appreciates sort of just knowing what's going on in, in the development side um so yeah so there, so i can't say we have like really big sort of like like it does happen every now and then but a lot of times it's sort of these small little wins we celebrate even within like the six week cycle yeah, that's great. So even though it's a six-week cycle, you still show something, you still ship something uh, during the cycle. So it's not like, oh, the team is working on this and we don't know what they're doing. And then six weeks later, they, ca they come with something. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I guess the last question would be, after adopting ShapeUp at Unbounce, do you think that your team is shipping like better like do you think that the team is working in a better way do you think that morale is higher now do you think that the company uh thinks that it, it was a good decision to adopt the methodology uh i think they're both like wins and sort of um like it depends i think I think it's to be net positive because it helps us work on more ambitious things and it helps like the product, like this team specifically to be a bit more ambitious. Um, I think we're still trying to work out like, at the end of it's a good or bad thing. Um, because I think 
we have a little like one of the problems of you know all teams trying out different things is that it's really hard to like understand how all the teams work together now i'm not arguing for standardization but from like you gotta make sure like the cadence and the rhythm of all your teams sort of line up especially when you need to like coordinate so uh yeah there there, there are different chat there, there are other sorts of challenges that are probably like more like you know every every company has their own sort of specific challenges um i i think it's again going back to the problem thing i think that's one thing that's really improved a lot um just like having that focus to like think about what are the problems you want to solve and communicating more explicitly about it and that has definitely been a really positive um, improvement is there something else that you would like to share about shape up um i don't know any ideas yeah, especially if someone is thinking about adopting ShapeUp or needs some help. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I really suggest, uh, you know, of course, read the book and uh, try writing a pitch just to see if that works for you. If this And, and of course, just try to, like, share that with your team. Um, this is something I've been working on a little last little, or last year or so, which is just to, like, share more writing and using that as a means of communicating. And I think you will get a sense of it could work for you just based on, like, the feedback you get on the pitch document and, how it works like it's been great for teams and i think managers also appreciate it because it just like it gives them confidence that you sort of under thought through like some of the risks um and that usually sort of if you get it like a good response i think that usually means that you can try adopting some some more of the shape up like way of working right i'm really sure so you mentioned that you you started about a year ago or something um mm -hmm. I guess that paid off with the new remote world, world uh, right? Because we need to be more communicative now. And I think that companies that started having a better communication, it's already ahead of other companies right now that, you know, trying to adjust to a remote and they think that remote is just video calls. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think like shape up is definitely one aspect of that where we're writing things down. Um, I mean, in addition to that, we also have been trying to do more like RFCs, which is like a request for comments process for some of the uh, engineering wide stuff. So we've been like trying to roll that out more and trying to get more participate uh, participation from engineers, just commenting, understanding the problem. So those two have been like things that have been sort of really helpful in this uh, remote uh, first sort of um, yeah world. Okay, I'm actually interested in the RFC processing you uh, in your at unbounce like what what happens once uh, an RFC is accepted for example how does it yeah. go from from the you know from the document to action uh, that's a really good question I mean I think there's like a variety of RFCs some of them are technical some of them could be more sort of people or processing or sort of just like um, you know more aspirational sort of things and so like the way we try to do it is we first like we have this we try to define like a loose process for someone who's trying to uh, propose an idea to get things through and we actually try to be more explicit about like communicating like approval or agreement agreeing to disagree and to try something out um so we sort of communicate it fairly openly we have like um, like I think like different chapters for like front end, back end and like product quality and we try to like communicate well to like everyone who sort of fits in one of those disciplines to understand like hey this is the RFC that's happening and usually by the time that we say we're going to do something we've already had a chance to give like a lot of folks a chance to review it and 
uh, see it ahead of time so that there's no surprises. Um, so recently we sort of revamped that, so we'll see. We've been trying to add some more like check-in processes as well to see like how are we doing on some of the ones that have like um, like a specific change we're trying to do. So um, so far it's been pretty good. I've gotten a lot of great uh, responses, but we'll see. <laughs> Yeah, sounds good. I will ask you then in a few months. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> we also started adding RFCs, but for example, right now it's not super clear to me. Oh, okay, so what happens um, after it's accepted? You know, um, how do we go from there to, oh, okay, so this is actually happening. One question. So, how does that communication happen? Is that like through Slack or meetings or like? comments on a doc like how, how does that happen because you mentioned that things need to happen asynchronously so so how is that yeah it, it's, a, it's a mix of everything i think uh, i don't think we don't usually talk, talk about rfc's in meetings we definitely do like communicate that they're on like through slack that it's here um please sort of provide comments we use confluence and we use comments to sort of discuss things but we do sort of tell folks that, you know, if there is something where, like, you're having a conversation with someone, there's a lot of feedback, it's hard to sort of get the message through, like, let's just take it offline and, like, talk face-to-face -face about this, because, like, sometimes it's just, sometimes it is important to just short-circuit short, short and talk in person instead of going back and forth in comments endlessly. Um, what also helps is we try to set deadlines on our RFCs, and so that folks know, like, when their input is um, needed by, and we also, as part of, like, our process we or the yeah the process for RFCs we told folks like uh, just be aware that we're like you may be sort of repeatedly asked for feedback if you're not giving it so don't take that as a sign of like someone's trying to be aggressive or anything this is just we're trying to do to like make decisions in a timely manner um, so it's been okay yes but it's been okay so far sounds good that's interesting okay I, I learned a lot Raymond thanks again for talking to us, that was really nice. Yeah, it's really nice yeah. to see someone adopting Shape Up and getting good results from it. And it's always always great to learn and share. So thank you so much, Raymond. Yeah, no problem. Uh, thank thank you, too. I've had a really I've really enjoyed this conversation. We both asked really good questions. Thanks for listening to this episode. We hope you enjoy it. If you want to support us. You can go to our website at hexdevs.com and you can subscribe to our mailing list and get updates.